Well, let me ask you a question this morning. How are you doing on your Christian journey? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about your life journey. I'm not ta- asking you, how are you doing with life these days? I'm asking you specifically, how are you doing on your Christian journey? Now, let me kind of prime the pump on where I'm going. In the Bible, Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, in a New Testament manuscript that he wrote that we call the book of 2 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Now, what does he say? He says, grow in your relationship with God. Grow on your spiritual journey. You know, what happens far too often is someone will come to faith in Jesus Christ. They'll hear the gospel of Christ maybe for the first time or maybe it took several times before they finally surrendered to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And and at some point, though, we trusted Christ as our Savior. We stopped hoping that we were going to somehow live a good enough life to make it to heaven. And instead, we accepted that Jesus did everything God demands for the forgiveness of sin and we just trusted him. But so often, that's where the spiritual journey ends. And it's almost like we, we, we took out a life insurance policy, you know, and, and yeah, I trust that Christ is my Savior. I'm not going to hell. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And then we just kind of fall into some ritualistic routine of maybe attending church and that. But that's not God's design for our life. Peter, Peter's got it right. He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, now, when we do that, it brings glory and honor to God. What does that mean? It means there's fundamental disciplines that every believer should constantly be growing in. We should be growing in our knowledge of God. And our knowledge of God comes through what? Through the Holy Scripture, right? Through the Bible. That's why Bible study is so important. We should be growing in our impact for eternity, in the use of our spiritual gifts, in our, our human talents for the, for the purpose of eternity. We should be growing in our faith as far as trusting God with our offerings and trusting God in other areas of life. Now, when we are in the process of growth, and that's the rest of our Christian experience until we go to be with God, then that brings glory to God. Now, Peter also tells us what our attitude should be towards growth. He says in, in another book that he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. There it is again. That we need not to be stagnant. We need not to just kind of park ourselves. Our Christian journey is exactly that. It's a journey that should be characterized by growth. And he says we should crave that growth. We should go after that growth like little babies go after a bottle. Don't you love to feed a little baby? I do. I've always got a joy out of when my children were babies and my grandson. I'll tell you, you get that bottle anywhere near their mouth and that nipple touches their cheek or their nose or their forehead and they're just... (laughs) And then they grab a hold of that thing and they're just sucking for everything they've got until that bottle is gone. See, it says that that's how God wants us to be in our relationship with him. That's how he wants us to be in wanting to understand more about him through his word. That's how he wants us to be in our service. That's how he wants to be. That's what should characterize our Christian journey. 
It's just this, this unsatiable hunger to know more about God and do more for God and have God to be a more impactful part of our life. Now, another one of those disciplines that we as believers need to grow in, we need to cultivate in, is prayer. See, it's so important because that is one of our primary tools of communication with God and from God. When we understand and we enter into prayer and we exercise prayer in our life properly, it's a two-way communication tool. We're talking to God, but then as we learn to listen and be still in those moments, God speaks back to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, prayer is possibly our greatest tool, our greatest resource that God has given us. Jesus declared in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. In Luke eleven nine, 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In other words, prayer has, comes with this promise that God will not only hear our prayers, but he will answer our prayers in many times in dramatic ways. But right now, as you hear that, your thought is, that's not been my experience. That's not been my relationship with prayer. You're not plugged into the power of prayer. You're not plugged into this resource that God has given you so that you can really grow on this journey that all of us are on until we're with God the Father for all eternity. So the question is, is why am I unplugged? Why, why don't I sense this power in my life? Why don't I sense th that God is hearing and answering my prayers? Why don't I see that kind of activity in my life? Well, that's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes because there's some very logical and scriptural reasons why prayer may not be an effective power in your life, why you may not be plugged into the power of prayer today. The first is the most obvious is that you don't pray. You can't be plugged into prayer if you don't pray. And I'm not talking about when you're driving down the street at 80 miles an hour down the turnpike and you see the highway patrolman come out with the lights saying, oh God, no, not me. I'm not talking about if you're a student and you're about to sit down and take a test and you haven't studied at all and you had a test sitting in front of you, oh God, help me to remember what the teacher said. I know I didn't study. Yeah, I'm not talking about these kind of, we, we treat prayer and we treat God like, like, like we, we do in a, a fire extinguisher. You know, it has, it's in that case, it says break only in the case of emergency. And that's, that's when we pray. Well, that's not going to work for you. Why? Because you're not going to have any confidence in that prayer. You haven't been talking to God and it'd be just like you, you ask it to borrow $1,000 from some relative you haven't talked to in 40 years, you know? You're not going to have a lot of confidence in that, that request. So we're not talking about that. You don't pray. Well, if you don't pray, you're not going to have the evidence of power in your life. But another reason why you might be unplugged in your prayer life is because of unconfessed sin in your life. Isaiah, who was a great prophet of God in Old Testament times, he wrote an ancient manuscript that's located in the Old Testament part of our Bible, and it bears his name, the book of Isaiah. In chapter 59, he profoundly declares this. He, he says in verse 1, he says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. And in other words, what Isaiah is astutely saying is this, that when there's a breakdown in the power of prayer between God and one of his children, it's not on God's part. 
The breakdown is not on God's part. It says, Isaiah says, his arm's not too short to save. There's nothing that God cannot do. He's omnipotent. And it's not that God's ear is dull that he's not listening to our prayers. It's not that he can't hear us or he's uninterested or apathetic. He says, that's not the problem. Then he goes on to identify the problem. He says this, he says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. He says, your sins have hidden his face from you so that, what? He won't hear. See, see we got to remember who God is. God is absolutely holy. He's absolutely righteous. There is no blemish in his character. And God cannot have intimate companionship with us when there's sin in our life. Peter, that, that other great leader of the original 12 disciples, he declared in his manuscript called 1 Peter in chapter 3, verse 12, says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and read it with me, and his ears are attentive to their what? Their prayer. But says the face of the Lord is what? Is against those who do evil. See, while we harbor unconfessed sin in our life, that is a disconnect from plugging into the power of prayer. That's a disconnect in God's ability to answer our prayer. That's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he's apathetic. It's not that he can't do it. It's that he won't do it because we are living with sin, unconfessed sin still in our life. And so we need to confess that sin. And that's an important part of prayer when we go to prayer. We need to confess that sin. We need to confess it specifically, not general. Oh, God, just forgive me of all the sins I've done recently. We need to own up so that we can have that connection back. Another part of it is that often we're holding an unforgiving spirit. The capstone of Christianity is forgiveness. That's where we get our eternal promise from. It's because God forgave us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love towards us in this, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. God sent Jesus to die on the cross when we were at our very worst. And we are to have unforgiving spirits. That is the hallmark of Christianity. That's how the world is supposed to recognize us from all the other world religions is in our love for each other and our love demonstrated through our willingness to forgive. Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. See, it's an important part of prayer. So when we come into prayer and, and the Holy Spirit brings to us our mind that we're in conflict with somebody, that there's something that's unresolved, that then we, we need, to, we, we need to, to take care of that. Why? So your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And we want to forgive us. We want to confess. We've just confessed, right? But if we're not willing to forgive, then why would God be willing to take that burden off of us, right? Now, it's not talking about eternal forgiveness. But he's talking about that, that burden that we carry around of, of guilt when we've sinned against him. And when we hold an unforgiving spirit against others, it's the same way. God says, that's going to be a disconnect. You're going to get unplugged from the power of prayer in your life as long as you hold on to that unforgiving spirit. Another reason can be because you have the wrong motives. 
when, you, when you're praying, you, you have entirely wrong moments. Jesus, uh, you, know, you know, had some, some siblings, some half-siblings. Some, he had some stepbrothers. And, and, and one of his stepbrothers became a great leader in the church. Didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, but came to faith in him after his, his death and his resurrection. And he was actually a leader of the early Christian church. And he wrote a letter that was circulated among the early churches. That's located in the New Testament part of our scriptures. It carries his name, the book of James. And James says this, in James chapter 4, verse 3, he says, When you ask, you do not receive, because what? You ask with the wrong motives. Now, what wrong motives could be out there? Well, one thing is, is that we can use prayer as a tool to manipulate. We can use prayer to manipulate each other. You know, let's say Stella and I uh, are, are praying together as, as a husband and wife sometime, and, and, and all of a sudden I start praying, and God... Thank you for this amazing godly woman that you have given into my life. God, thank you that she loves you and that she honors you and she honors your word. God, remind her of her godly place in the home, that she's to be in obedience to me, and that the husband is the head of the home. God, God remind her that her love of Scripture will make that true and resonate true in her life. God, help her to see that and embrace that, God. And, of course, Stella would be quick to say, and God, help my, my husband to remember your word says that, you're to, that he's to love me like you love the church and sacrifice himself for me. <laughs> you, you know, we, we, we can use prayer to try to manipulate each other. Spouses, parents with children, children with parents, friends, coworkers. You know, we, we can try to use prayer to, to put a guilt trip on other people. And God sees right through that, and he's not going to bless that, is he? Now, worse than that, we often try to use prayer to manipulate God himself. You know, I'll say, well, maybe if, maybe if I pray real hard, you know, God will, God will answer my prayer. God will see that I'm sincere. Oh, God, you know, God, you know how much I love you, God. And, and God, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to manipulate God. What, are you kidding ourselves? Like God's not going to see through that? See, we use it as a tool of manipulation. We're praying with the wrong motives. Oftentimes, the wrong motive is that we're praying with, with selfish ends in design. And, and this is often the case. You know, it, it's what we want. It's what I want. God, I want you to do this for me. God, I want you to answer my prayer this way. God, I. Right off the bat, in Jesus' early ministry, that we've come to, to know and call the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the very first New Testament book. It's in Matthew's biography of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, going through Matthew chapter 6, it talks about Jesus in his first public appearance that we know about in the, with a great multitude. And he's telling people, this is where the Beatitudes and that all in the Bible are. And, and part of that initial declaration of his ministry, he gives us a model prayer that many of us have memorized. And, and, and we've quoted since we were children if we grew up in the church. Or we've definitely heard it. In Matthew chapter 6, that prayer goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, do you notice any kind of a common trend in that model prayer that, that Jesus is? And he says, he says, when you pray, pray like this. And then he says that prayer. Do you notice anything unique about that prayer? There's no I in it, is there? It's all us, you. See, it's not selfish. It's praying for others. T.W. Hunt, who was a great leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, especially in their, their Sunday school movement, he, he, he was kind of one of, one of his, his center items and issues and things that he would teach and pray about was prayer. And he had this to say about prayer in America. He said, the biggest single non-biblical aspect of American prayer today is a lack of intercession or praying for others. The majority of teachings in the Bible are for intercession. The Bible tells us to pray for other people, and this is where Americans fail most dismally. What does he say? He says, we tend to use prayer for our own selfish interests. Our prayers tend to be tend to be dominated by I, me, God, give me, God, help me, God, I want this, God, I need you, God, I, 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 I. And he says, the power of prayer is in intercession, is praying for others. Now, does that mean that we should never pray for ourselves? Does that mean that, that it's unscriptural to pray for ourselves? No, that's not at all what it means. Don't hear that. But what it means is that our prayers should not predominantly be for our own interests. That shouldn't be kind of the way all of our prayers are. It's all about God give me, God I need, I God, God. It's not wrong to pray in certain circumstances and situations for God to help us. But our prayer should be characterized by prayer for others. Sometimes we're unplugged because we lack faith. Sometimes our prayer is more of kind of a general hope. You know, God, you know, we, we, we get down, we pray, and we ask, and we don't really even, there's no expectation that God's actually going to answer the prayer. There's no expectation that, that, that God is, is active at all, and we're kind of, we kind of, we're doing this in this situation. We've got a, a list of things that we're trying to do to resolve some situation or challenge in our life, and prayer is one of those things. And it's just, you know, oh, God, you know. And when, even when we're praying, you know, kind of in our subconscious, we're going, well, you know, I don't really think this is going to work, but, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. I'm going to pray. Well, James, again, that half-brother of Jesus, had something to say about that. In James chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, he says, If any of you lacks faith, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. In other words, God wants to help you to develop your faith. That's another one of the tools that God has given us that he'll help us to develop. But look what he says. He says, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And then he says, That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. See, the Lord is not moved by our offerings of hope. Oh, God, maybe you'll do it. Maybe you'll listen. Oh, God, I hope you're listening. I hope you'll do something. When, when we get up and, and, and we really don't give it another thought, and we just, you know, it's, well, maybe, I don't know. See, God will not respond to that. 
You're not going to find, you're not going to experience the power of prayer in your life if you lack faith that God is listening and that God will respond. Another aspect is, is that you may lack persistence in prayer. You know, we tend to, again, it's part of that hope thing. Well, I hope, well, I did my prayer and we'll see what happens. You know, we, we need to pray persistently. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, in writing to these believers in the city of Ephesus, declares this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Don't throw something up there one time and walk away and say, well, we'll see what happens. He says, pray all the time. Don't stop praying about it. Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 7 said, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him once in a while, occasionally, one time, what, says what? Day and night. Jesus says, really, God? Who do you think God is? Will he keep putting them off, those who go to him persistently? See, God wants to sometimes just check out how how serious we are about it. And if we're just throwing a hope up there, God's going to say, well, I'm not answering that. I'm not going to connect. They're not going to see my power. I'm not, I, I, they're not giving me the liberty to, to do what I can do and to show them what I can show them because there's no real faith there and there's no persistence. They just kind of threw up a hope. See, God's sometimes going to test, see how persistent we are. Now, there's another element of persistent prayer that's very important, and that's this, that, that our persistent prayers often allow God to change our intent. See, sometimes we're praying with the wrong motives and we don't even know it. Sometimes we're praying for something that God cannot answer. And as we consistently, as we persistently pray, that gives God the opportunity to start changing our heart and start changing our mind about what we're praying about. Write this down. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Do you get what that's saying? Prayer is not pulling God to my will. Prayer is not manipulating God to do what I want him to do. Prayer is not making God, trying to get God to do things and see life and and see the the result of, of what I'm looking for the way I see it, the way I want it to work out. Prayer is all about aligning my will to the will of God. And that's why persistent prayer allows time for God to work on us because sometimes even sincerely we're praying with wrong motives. Even sincerely as we'll see in a minute, that we're not praying the right way. See, prayer may not change things for me, but mark it down, it is sure to change me for things. If I will pray persistently, God will be active, and it gives God the opportunity to speak to us and to change our hearts and to give us a new perspective that we didn't see before. So are we praying with persistence, or are we just kind of Throwing it out there and giving up after it. Sometimes it's a matter we lack action after we pray. Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds. And who knocks, the door is open. See, sometimes we pray and we just throw it all in God's hands. 
you know, you know we need a job, and, and, and we, we really haven't had a job, and we got laid off and everything, and we're praying, God, oh, God, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. God, you know I need a job. You know I need to pay my bills. You know I need to take care of my family. But we've not thrown any resumes out there. We're just kind of sitting around and hoping the phone's going to ring. We're just sitting around and hoping somebody's going to call us sometime. And we've got to get out there and do our part. You know, students, you sit there at the test again. And you sit there, you know, you know, you can't expect God to bring recollection for all the things the teacher taught that you didn't study. Now, after you've studied, then you can say, God, help me now to stay calm. And, and God, help me now to be able to, to reflect on this test the things that I have studied hard to learn. Now, God's going to honor that, see. But sometimes we're asking God to do it all. We're just sitting back and thinking God's just going to take everything, and we're not doing our part. Our relationship's in trouble, and we're asking God to heal the relationship. Well, what are we doing to help the relationship to be healed? What actions are we taking that God can bless? Sometimes we're, we're, not, doing, we're not doing our part. We're just expecting God to be some kind of a genie in a bottle, and we pray a prayer, and he puffs out and say, what three wishes can I grant you today? Oftentimes... We're short-sighted in our prayers. Sometimes, even sincerely, we can be praying in a direction that will actually be harmful to other people. If God would answer that prayer, it would actually be harmful to somebody else. And we don't see that. We don't understand that. John, another one of the original 12 disciples, and the one who referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. He was the, probably the youngest of all the disciples. He wrote a New Testament manuscript that we call the book of First John. There's First John, Second John, and Third John in the very back of the, the Bible. And in this first manuscript, chapter 5, verse 14, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, read it with me, according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's very important. Did you pick that up? See, because sometimes, again, we're asking things that God just cannot bless. He cannot honor. Because it's either going to turn out disastrous for us, it's going to turn out disastrous for somebody else. You know, we might be you know, planning a, a nice vacation and say, oh God, you know, uh, hold the weather back, don't let it rain, help us enjoy this vacation. But how's that prayer going to impact the farmer who's trying to grow crop, crops, huh? How's it going to impact people who, who need what the farmer is growing? See, see, we're thinking about ourselves, and we don't see the bigger picture. And God says, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And we say, well, see, God doesn't answer prayer. Classic example. And what I love about God is through Jesus, he always demonstrates that God practices what he preaches. Jesus Luke chapter 22, verse 42, is in the garden now. It's just before he's about to be betrayed by Judas, just before he starts what we call the passion. And he's praying to God. And what's he say? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus is now demonstrating the fact that he was just as human as he was God. As a human being. As a man who knows what's about to happen to him, he's scared. His stress level is sky high. In fact, the Bible says that during this time, his anxiety was so high that he began to sweat blood. 
And the medical community has documented that if a human being is under severe enough anxiety, severe enough stress, capillaries begin to to explode and burst under the skin and it will seep through and, and a person can literally appear to be sweating blood. And this is Jesus. And he's praying, God, if it's possible, if it can be in your will, don't make me drink from this cup. Don't let me get beaten. Don't let me get scourged. Don't let me be stripped in front of the crowd. Don't don't let them mock me. Don't let them nail me to that cross, God, if it's possible. Three times he prays to God. But after each request, he says, but your will be done, not mine. Don't you know that God, looking down on his sinless son, don't you know that God had a passion to answer that prayer in the way Jesus wanted it answered? Don't you know that that God had a passion, had a love hunger to release his son from what was about to happen to him? But God, even when it was his own son, God had to consider the master plan that he was working. God had to consider the fact that if he answered in the way Jesus was asking him in that prayer, if he would have released Jesus from that obligation, then a little nine-year-old boy on Palm Sunday in 1963 named Pete Tokar would have never received the forgiveness of God's love and his passion and of my sins. Because that wasn't possible unless Jesus went to the cross. And the same is true of every one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ. Since sometimes it's not that God doesn't answer our prayer. It's that sometimes we have a short-sighted understanding of our circumstances and the consequences of what might happen if God answered the prayer the way we asked him to answer it. Sometimes God says, listen, I love you so much. And I hear your prayer and Jesus wept, so maybe God cries too. Maybe with tears coming down his eyes, his cheeks, he might say, I love you. But I can't answer that prayer. Not that way. And and maybe it's us. Maybe it's us at the doctor's office. Maybe it's us facing cancer. Maybe it's us facing some other disease. Or maybe it's us feeling the failure of a relationship. And maybe it's us feeling, you, you know, facing whatever circumstance. And God's heart is broken for us and with us. But he has a higher purpose for that experience in our life. And maybe it's through us going through that experience that God is going to use us and our experience to reach someone else going through that same experience who will never come to faith in Jesus Christ except through seeing our faithful journey with him. After Jesus finally gave it all to God and said, God, not my will, but your will be done, the very next verse tells us, An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
See, when he brought his will in alignment with God's will, then God also gave him what he needed to face that challenge, to face that trial. And see, when we bring our will in alignment with God's will, God will do the same for us. Why? Because remember, prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will with the will of God. Maybe we haven't experienced the power of prayer because We're praying for the wrong thing. Why am I unplugged? I don't know. Maybe you're unplugged because you don't pray. Maybe you have unconfessed sin. Maybe you have an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you're praying with the wrong motives. Any of these things. I don't know. It's now time for you to examine your life. But one other possibility is that You may not be experiencing the power of prayer because you don't belong. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me go light on this one, but nonetheless, let me put it out there. Listen to what I'm going to say carefully and listen to exactly what I'm saying. Don't read anything into it. God has not obligated himself to answer the prayers of unbelievers. God has only obligated himself to answer the prayers of his own family. Now, it's not that God doesn't intervene in the lives of unbelievers. He he often does because he's love and mercy and grace, but he's not obligated himself to. He has obligated himself to his own family, his own children. Say, well, well, how, how do you become a child of God? Well, John 1.12 says, Yet to as many as received him, who? Jesus. To those who believed on his name. Listen to this. He gave the right to become the children of God. See, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, then God adopts us into his family. And when he adopts us into his family, just the way a parent might look after the needs and satisfy the needs of their own child over the child of somebody else's family, God focuses his attention on his own first. Maybe you don't belong. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If not, you can do that right now. It comes through a simple prayer of faith. God, I confess to you that that I've sinned against you. God, I know that I haven't lived life right, and I need your forgiveness. God, I'll never get to heaven by being a good person because I'll never be good enough. That's why you sent Jesus. And today, God, I want to put my faith in him. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And I believe, God, that you have given him as the only sacrifice for sin that you could accept, the authority to forgive sin. So, Jesus, today, be my Savior. Today, I Believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. You say, how could it be that easy? Because that's how much God loves you. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, there's a lot of reasons why we may not be plugged in to the power of prayer. But if we're not, how do we get plugged in? See you next week.